to kind of kick us off tonight, um, or kick us off today. Um, a few Sunday nights ago, uh, we had a guest speaker, and he kind of helped us address some of the issues that our nation and world are having right now when it comes to dealing with conflict. Um, and we segued into that conversation by talking about what? What was the main topic that night? Somebody say it. Half of you were here. I'm not saying anything until someone answers me. What was the topic that we used to segue into dealing with conflict with people a few Sunday nights ago? Had the guest speaker. Race. Race. Thank you, Landon. Welcome back, buddy. So we spent some time talking about race relations, and we talked about, you know, what's going on in our country, what's going on um, in our world, what's going on with police, what's going on with different people within the church. And he did an excellent job helping us navigate through some of those conversations that can be kind of difficult to talk about sometimes and, and certainly uncomfortable to talk about sometimes. But it kind of led us to um, a place where we can talk about how we deal with conflict as Christians, uh, not just under the umbrella of, of race relations, but just in general. Um, I mean, you guys think of someone in your life right now who's really difficult. You don't have to say their name, and hopefully it's not a sibling who's in here with you. But you can think of someone right now who's just really difficult to deal with. Maybe they have a bad attitude. Maybe they think they're better than everybody else. Maybe they have horrible language. Maybe they have, um, you know, something else that they deal with on a, on a personal basis that just makes them really impossible to kind of navigate through um, with, in peace. And so when, we, when we, th- we encounter those people in life, whether it be because of race, whether it be because of, you know, a character trait or something different, uh, we have to figure out as Christians how we deal with difficult people. And I can promise you at some point in your life, you're that difficult person for someone else. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, you know, I might have my issues, but I'm generally a pretty easygoing person. That might be true, but we all have bad days, right? We all have days where we're just off and we slam doors and we, you know, clap back at people when we shouldn't and we're just sassy and we have to get the last word. And all these different things just happen to us because we're human. And so the goal of looking at Philemon was one, I wanted to start you guys with a, a letter in the Bible that's very short. Uh, Philemon is uh, under 30 verses. You could read through it in, in hardly any time um, at all. And just, you know, 25 verses, you could scan through it. You may not get a whole lot from it, just reading straight through it, but you can still do it in not a lot of time. So I wanted to take two Sundays and look at this letter and see what Paul lays out about how we deal with people in our lives who are giving us a difficult time. How do we deal with conflict? How do we get people uh, to work with us on things? And so um, for those of you who were here last Sunday, kind of recap us on what we talked about with Philemon. Um, if I remember the date when it was written. Yeah, so around 61, 60 AD. Good job. Who wrote it? Paul. Paul. Very good. Where was Paul at when he wrote it? Prison, yeah. So he's got all these different things going on. He's, he's writing to Philemon from prison around 60-61 AD. And what was the main point of Philemon? What was the main point of Paul writing this letter? Hmm? Yeah, so he, he's basically asking Philemon to forgive a guy who ran away um, as a slave. And so this is a letter that gets kind of 
put down a little bit because it consists of some slavery talk, uh, but it's actually really important for us to navigate through that, understand what's going on there. And so Paul's main goal in writing to Philemon and writing this letter uh, was so that he would have the ability to forgive his former slave and accept him back as a brother in Christ. So last week in verses 1 through 8, we spent time talking about a couple of things that Paul did that are really important for us to do as Christians when we're trying to get someone to work with us, when we're trying to get someone to have a conversation with us, when we're trying to get someone to listen to us. He does a couple of things, and I'll just read through verses 1 through 8, and you guys can read along with me. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend. Some people call him Philemon. You can say either one. If you don't have a Bible, please be reading along with your Bible. Everybody needs a Bible. No reason if you'd be looking at me. Um, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in the deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in prison. So let's stop right there for a second and let's catch up. This is what we talked about last week. We'll briefly walk through what Paul does here. First thing Paul does here is that he identifies with those that he's getting involved with. Um, He calls uh, Philemon, he calls him a brother, okay, in verse 7. Verse 7 again says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, my brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord people. So he finds a common ground very first and foremost. He finds something that he can connect with Philemon about. We're brothers in Christ. We understand each other. We're walking the same walk right now together. That's the first thing that he does. And then... In verse 10, he calls Onesimus his son. So he calls Philemon his brother. He calls Onesimus his son. So Paul immediately is connecting himself to these individuals. It's not like he's writing and he's trying to distance himself and saying, I don't really care about how this plays out. I'm just doing this to clear my conscience. You know, what you do is up to you. No, he's connecting personally by using these pronouns to call them a brother and to call them a son. Second, he requested and not ordered Philemon to do the right thing. We talked about last Sunday morning how differently you guys respond when your parents request that you do something instead of order you to do it. And you can think about your own personal examples this morning in your mind. Maybe it's cleaning your room. Uh, Maybe it's helping with the dishes. Maybe it's taking out the trash and you're playing a video game and you don't want to do it right now. I know those are very elementary examples, but we still deal with those in the moment, right? If we're doing something we want to do and our parents say, you know, hey, Grayson, can you go and do this for me? And Grayson has a bad attitude about it. Um, it's probably going to be received better if they ask and then if they say, I'm going to tell you to do this. Now, parents have the authority and have the right to tell their kids what to do and how to behave and how to discipline. Okay, And Paul had the authority to do that to Philemon, but he didn't. Instead of ordering Philemon to do something, he requested that he, that he did it. He didn't flex his muscles, his muscles of apostleship. He didn't kind of shut around and say, 
you know, I'm the Apostle Paul, I'm a missionary. Instead, he encourages him to do the right thing. The third thing that he does is he seeks Philemon's voluntary consent, not his submission to just blindly obey. He wants, he wants Philemon to do the right thing on his own merit. He wants him to make that decision for himself. You guys will never be able to force someone to think or feel how you think or feel. I don't care if it's about race relations. I don't care if it's about politics. I don't care if it's about theology. I don't care if it's about homosexuality. It does not matter. You in and of yourselves will never be able to force the person next to you how they should feel or what they should think. We can't do it. What we have to be willing to do is have a conversation with each other that encourages people to arrive at that place on their own. So Paul lays that out as well. Fourth, he appeals to Christian love, not to power or authority. Paul wants everything, just as, the, just as Pastor Brad's been talking about downstairs in the morning uh, with us right now, to be done under the umbrella of God's love. There are two takeaways that we can really apply. So if you don't hear anything else from this this morning, hear this. First and foremost, Paul calls Philemon a refresher. He says that he encourages and gives great joy. It says, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So two questions that I have for you this morning, based on this letter to Philemon, are, is, or are, do you refresh people with your presence? Does your attitude refresh people, or does it bring people down? Does the way you carry yourself, does the way you speak, the way you act, your attitude, your body language, your facial expressions, everything that you do, does it refresh people around you, or do you sour the room? Do you sour the room? When you come in, does your sarcasm make people resent you? When you come in, does your language and your body language just kind of drag the atmosphere of the room down, or are you a refresher? The second thing that we see Paul do is that he talks about doing everything from love. If there's an area of your life that you're not doing something for love, and you're not doing something motivated by God's love, then we're missing the point in that area of our life, and we're trying to keep it for ourselves. And lastly, what we talked about last week is that Paul agrees to absorb the loss and kind of pay for any restoration and just kind of control the damages. Basically, he says, if you'll do this, I'll take care of everything else. He was willing to get in the middle of their situation. Again, he didn't remain distant. He didn't say, I know you've got this going on. You guys figure it out. This has nothing to do with me. He says, look, I'm going to send him back to you because it's the right thing for me to do. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover any of the losses, and any of the damages that he's caused. Guys, sometimes discipleship and sometimes evangelism and sometimes sharing our faith costs us something. Sometimes it will cost you a friend. Sometimes it will cost you a relationship within your family. Sometimes it will cost you an invitation to something fun that everybody else is getting invited to. Sometimes doing the right thing for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ costs us something. And sometimes it's in that moment. Sometimes we see the consequences down the road. But this certainly cost the Apostle Paul something uh, because he had to foot the bill. Onesimus ran away as a slave. And he had to foot the bill to make things right again. Which brings us to, to verse 10. And we'll spend some time finishing this this morning. It says that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. 
but I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but it would be voluntary. There again, we see him wanting to make the right decision or wanting uh, Philemon to make the right decision by his own uh, merit. Verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you uh, for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing you this with my own hand, and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you to answer your prayers. And the verses that follow that are him just talking about a couple of guys that he's in prison with, that he's saying send their best, and they want to know that they're checking in on them. So, Verses 10 through 22, what do we see going on here? The word Onesimus actually means useful. Uh, That name literally translates from the Greek, which the New Testament was written in, to English as useful. That would be the the definition for that word. And so Paul uses a play on words here. Um, There in in verse 11, he says, He was formerly useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and me. And so this is literally Onesimus' name that he's kind of using to kind of paint this picture of usefulness and how he can be used for ministry. And he says, he used to be useless to you. He was Onesimus to you. Now he's Onesimus to me and he's useful for me and so he's useful for both of us as a brother in Jesus Christ. Now in verses 15 and 16 uh, we see the reference to slavery that I mentioned a few minutes ago Um, and maybe you guys have heard this passage of scripture talked about before and people bash scripture because it condones slavery. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world years ago was far different than anything that you know we experienced in the United States or anything like that. It was more of uh, you know you were indebted to someone and so you had to serve them. Um, it was almost more of a servanthood. I'm sure there were grotesque parts of it where there were things that we wouldn't be comfortable seeing and knowing about. But generally speaking, this was a more established and well-ordered uh, system that existed there. And so he says in verse 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while is that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And so Christians did not have the power to change the slavery system and and change the the setup that was going on in the world. Uh, Paul knew one, because he's in prison, right? But two, because he just knew that he, he wasn't in control of the government. I mean, it wasn't like America today where Christians are you know, holding public office and you can be a Christian and run you know, for governor or county representative or president or things like that. This wasn't like that then. Christians were, were kind of chastised. They were kind of persecuted against and kind of cast down. And so Paul knew that he couldn't convince Philemon to not own slaves. Instead, what Paul sought to do was to speak to Philemon and say, look, I can't, I can't convince you to let go of all your slaves, but maybe I can transform your relationships. Maybe I can transform this relationship with this former slave. And so he knew that he couldn't change this, the system, but he might could change the particular situation. And so the gospel begins to change by attacking social structures around us, by changing the people within those structures. 
you might hear people talking about right now, you know, maybe we should defund the police. That's just, that's garbage. I would not want to live in a country that didn't have police. athens Clark County is completely overrun already and under understaffed with police officers. I would move out of Clark County as a good Lord of my witness, as my witness. I would move my family out of Clark County if Clark County defunded the police. We need that. And so you might have issues within social setups. You might have issues within certain things in our country. You might have issues because there's people involved. But we know we can't change social structures as Christians. But what we can do is change people by the power of the gospel who are involved with those structures. And that's what Paul was seeking to do. Now, here's the real kicker in this whole story is that slave owners of the time had every right to do what to their slaves if they ran away? Anybody know? Hmm? Kill them, yeah. Philemon had every right, if Paul sent Onesimus back, to just kill him. He, within, within the structured setup of that time, Philemon would not have had anything come against him. He would have not been thrown in prison. He would have not been beaten himself if he would have killed Onesimus. And so not only is Paul trying to transform a relationship, what's he trying to do for Onesimus? He's trying to save his life. Yeah. He's, he's literally putting himself on the line so this guy might have his life spared. Because Onesimus did something wrong. He was willing to take the fall. He was willing to pay the cost, pay the consequence, so that Onesimus might get to go home and might get to stay home and might be counted as a Christian, but ultimately that he wouldn't be killed. And guys, while we might not be in a place, you might say, well, well Blaine, I don't have a slave. I don't even have a job. I don't even have a car. Maybe you do have a car. Maybe you don't have any responsibility in the home. How in the world am I supposed to relate to a guy trying to save the life of a slave? Well, maybe physically we can't, but maybe spiritually we can. If we took this same approach that Paul is taking to Philemon and apply it to our, our lives in terms of our spiritual care for those around us, imagine how different your relationships would be. If we care just as much about saving people from hell with the gospel of Jesus Christ as Paul cared about saving Onesimus' life from his slave master, Philemon, think about how much different your world might be. Think about how much different your place of employment might be or your home might be or your team or your bandmates or whoever you're around the most, your volleyball team might be. If you took as much time and were, were willing to get involved so deeply like Paul was to save the lives of your friends spiritually for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it may not change the setup. It may not change the system. It won't change if, you're, if Kara Grace goes and takes this approach to her volleyball team and her volleyball coach is a quack and doesn't know anything about volleyball and the coach is not a Christian. Obviously, the coach is a Christian because she goes to a Christian school. It's a bad example. But let's just say Kara Grace is on a volleyball team where the coach is not a Christian and the coach just has a horrible attitude and horrible language. And Kara Grace decides for herself, I'm going to make a difference. Kara Grace by herself cannot change the coach, right? She cannot change the atmosphere and the culture of the team because she can't change the coach. But what Kara Grace can do is start to work within the teammates and bring about a culture change through the transformation of personal relationships. And that's what Paul was trying to do. Same thing for Cole in football. Same thing for Katie in softball. We all have same thing for Daniel and Ben, so on and so forth. Seth football, Casey in football. All these different things that we're involved with, we have the platform to make a change in the lives of people around us. 
And while it may not be saving them physically on this earth, like Paul was for Onesimus, you have a part to play in the advancing of the gospel in the lives of your friends, the lives of your teammates, the lives of your classmates, the lives of your family members, just as Paul did for Onesimus. So, as we close this, we we see Paul do a couple of things. Then he pivots back. So he's kind of talking about all the, 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 the details of this situation and what Philemon owed him and things like that. And says, and he, he says this in, in verse 17. This is really interesting to me. He says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Basically, if you care anything about me or if you think anything of me, if you value my, my place in your life, then do this for me. Welcome him back as you would welcome me. So basically, he uses his connection and his, his relationship as leverage. And, and guys, there's an art to that. There's an art to using leverage and using things in your life and using your platform to get people to listen to you, to get people to hear you out. And Paul does that right here. If he has done any, any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So he, he pays for himself. Verse 20, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul closes this, and I'll close with this this morning. Paul, Paul closes this letter essentially by saying, I want you to do the right thing, and I trust that you're going to do the right thing because I know your heart. Guys, people want to feel like other people believe in them. Parenthood has taught me that first and foremost. Raising a four-year-old in a pandemic was rough. Uh, Roman's worst year behaviorally came this year. I mean, he tested us in a lot of different ways. Still is, still does, much like you guys still test your parents sometimes. There were some very long days during quarantine and shelter in place with us because we had an infant and then we had Roman. And we had to relearn how to communicate with Roman. But you know what Roman responds to the best from us? And it's not every time. But you know what he responds to the best from us? When mama and daddy believe that he can do something. His eyes light up when he thinks that we think he can accomplish something or when we help him do something. Guys, people around you in your world, in your school, in the world in general are hurting. They want hope. They want encouragement. They want someone to come along beside them and say, Bailey, I know you've had a rough go of it lately, but you can do this. I know you can do this. I want to help you do this, so I'm going to get involved. Gavin, I know you've had a rough go of it lately, but I, I know you're capable of doing this. I trust that you're going to do the right thing. And I want to help you do it. And that's why Philemon is called a refresher of people's hearts. Because he was someone who did that for other people. So Paul's flipping it on him. And he's saying, you do this for Onesimus as you do for everyone else. And as you've done for me. So guys, people around us need to be encouraged. People around us need to feel like we believe in them. But they also need to be given the opportunity to do the right thing. You are never going to raise a child You're never going to meet a friend or have a spouse or have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance one day that you can just outright force to do what you want them to do. But you will always be able to give the people around you the opportunity to do the right thing. But you know what it takes first? It takes you sharing what the right thing is. It takes you telling them what the right decision is. With Roman right now, we have to communicate on such an elementary level what we want him to do if roman dropped that piece of trash right there and he did something wrong we can't just say pick it up and go throw it away we have to tell him what he did wrong and what we want him to do next time and then most of the time if he understands guess what 
he'll do it. Not every time. We're not going to be perfect, but we give him the opportunity to do the right thing. And that's what Paul did for Philemon. And if you're ready to be used by your Lord and Savior to do greater things than you've been doing in the lives of your friends and in your home and in your sports teams and in your classroom and so on and so forth, you have to present yourself in such a way that you're willing to do what Paul did. He connected personally. He, he talked about how he valued Philemon and how he was an, a, a joyful person and an encourager and a refresher of hearts. And then lastly, he's, he gives him the opportunity to do the right thing. He didn't force him. He didn't flex his muscles of authority. He didn't get loud and you know, try to tell him why he should do it. He just gave him the opportunity to do the right thing after explaining what the right thing was. Guys, it's that simple. It's that simple. And you know what? Your friends and your classmates and your teammates are probably going to not do the right thing more often than they're going to do the right thing because this is the nature of our world, especially the nature of the age of, of life you're in right now. But that doesn't mean that Christians are not called to deal with difficult people by giving them the opportunity to live for the Lord and choose for themselves to the best of our ability. And that takes clear communication and it takes personal relationships. And that's what Philemon is all about. I want to encourage you guys to join us again tonight at 545 right here. We'll be having our weekly student worship service. And we'll be continuing to talk about how to deal with difficult people and conflict resolution. And we also would encourage you to stick around after for our family movie night with Kona Ice, hot chocolate, popcorn, and more. Out back, we'll be watching the Charlie Brown uh, Fall Peanuts movie. And then also want to remind you guys that Intense Registration is available online. It is totally digital registration this year. That's October 3rd and 4th. We hope you can join us for this free weekend of fellowship over at our church lake lot. You can go to our website, find the students tab up top, and that drops down to Intense, and you can register completely online. You can also find that by going to our church Instagram, going to the link tree in our bio, and selecting Intense Weekend, which will take you directly to the registration. So I hope you guys have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you soon.